0: Father, we, um, we just want to thank you for speaking to us. Thank you that you're a good father who always has a good instruction, who always, um, who always his word's always timely for us. And so as we come to this text, God, I, I pray that, that it would land on us with the sort of effect that you want it to have. It is a great text. It's an encouraging text. It's a hope-producing text, and I pray that through the work of the Spirit, you'd help us to hear it and to receive it that way. Above all things, what we need most during this time is to to leave our our time of of gathering and worshiping more impressed with King Jesus. So I pray that you would show him off in this sermon. You would show him off in this text. You would show him off in our songs. You would show him off in communion. You would show him off in a in a benediction as we are blessed to go from this time, and then he would just get grander and louder and brighter in our sight this week. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. I love uh, music. I love music. I specifically love music about Jesus. I don't care if they're hymns. I don't care if they're new praise songs. I don't care if they're really technical and complicated. I don't care if it's like the same word or phrase repeated over and over and over again, as long as they are biblical um, and they are about Jesus. I love music. And one of the reasons that I love Christian songs so much is they take the truths of the Bible and they make those truths real in my heart. I just find that like as I as I play or I sing or I raise my hands, like I have to move my body when I when I sing. It just I I, I, want, I just enter into the truths of what are being said. It just makes these beautiful things real to me. A lot of things can make God's truth real. Music does it probably loudest to me. And as soon as I read the passage for today, I immediately began to think of, of some songs. And so I went with it, and I actually organized the sermon around three different song titles, and, and, which was fun for me, personally, and I, and I, I hope is helpful for you, because I'm, I'm hoping that the truth of this text becomes very real in your heart, because this is a great Text. This is one of those texts where if you are not a Christian and, 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 and you don't believe the Bible, this is one of those passages that's just so good that you are going to want to believe that it's true. Let me give you the three headings or the three songs uh, for this text. In Christ alone, how deep the Father's love for us and more like Jesus. In Christ alone, how deep the Father's love for us and more like Jesus. If you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, would you stand with me? This is God's really great word. And now, little children, abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. Appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Feel free to grab a seat. Let me start with this. Let me give to you what I maybe would say, suggest um, is the most important commandment that's going to be given in all of 1st. John, it really might be the most important thing in the New Testament. It might be the most important thing in the Bible. It is probably the most important thing in all of human history, which means it's the most important thing for your life at every moment all the time. And it's in verse 28, and it is this, abide in him. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to to Jesus. John uses that word abide six times. If you look up just a few verses earlier, he uses it six times in the span of just a few verses. In fact, he said really the same thing he's saying in verse 28. He said it at the end of verse 27. He just said it, and now he's saying it again. In verse 27, it says, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him. Abide means to remain, to stay close to you, to stay always. If you look up about three or four verses or five or six verses, the context, and it makes sense that John is saying this. Is he's writing back to a church of people he loves, these little children, he cares for them. What had happened is people began to drift from Jesus. People began to, to reinvent different versions of Jesus, uh, things that are contrary to the Bible, as their culture influenced them. The same thing happens now. They, we, we, we get tired of the biblical Jesus, and so we recast him in all sorts of ways, and John is speaking into that, and he says, stay close to Jesus there's always this danger. There's always this danger to become dull with Jesus, or to get distracted from Jesus, to drift from Jesus, to forget who He is and what He has done. We all have that tendency to downplay. We all have that tendency to grow dull. For forgetfulness is a human problem. This past. Um, Thursday morning, I was doing my, my morning uh, Bible time. I'm doing Bible time and prayer. And where I've been recently is, is in the Psalms. And, and so I'm just camped out. And I, Right now, I'm just doing like one Psalm a day. And then I just prayer journal through it. And the Psalm that I was in is Psalm 106. And it's this retelling of, of the history of God's people and really the history of God's power to deliver and save His people in these stunning ways. And I came down to this verse, and it just kind of stopped me said this in Psalm 106, it says, they forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. They forgot God, their Savior, all the intervention, all the deliverance, all the provision that he had done for them. And I just sat there and I go, how could they possibly forget? And then it went to how come I so often forget? And the problem is that when we forget, we, we have to go looking somewhere else to provide the thing that only God can provide. And if you look at the context here or you look at the rest of the verse of 28, we have to go somewhere with our shame. We have to go somewhere. That's where the verse 28 goes, that we want to abide so that we don't shrink back in shame when Christ returns. We have to go somewhere to deal with our failures. We have to go somewhere to deal with our struggles. We have to go somewhere to deal with our sin. That's why abiding in him is so important. The first song, the first, the the song when I read this, just abide in Him that I couldn't uh, stop thinking about was in Christ alone. I'm not going to quote all four verses of the song. Let me just highlight a few parts from each of the verses. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song my comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ, I stand. I don't shrink back in, in, in shame. I stand as he returns. It's talking about in verse 28, when, when Christ returns and he doesn't come as a baby, he'll come as a triumphant king. And if I'm in Christ, I can stand. Go on in this song, it says, Tell on that cross. As Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin. When I sing, I'm always pounding my chest. I'm like, my sin on him was laid. Every every single one of mine on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. The third verse, it says this. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse, it's lost its grip on me. For I am his. I always put my hand on my heart. For I am his. He is mine. Reach out to remind me he's there. Bought with the precious blood of Christ. And the big punchline on this song, as you get down to the last verses, is this, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. And it goes no power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. Where else could you possibly go to find that? There is no other Savior that can provide that. There is no other hope that can provide that. There is no other forgiveness. Assure is what Christ gives. And so John is right in this saying, abide in Christ. Stay there. Stay there. And we do it for a reason. And now little children by him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. I used to love to swim. I loved uh, being on swim team. It's what I spent my summers growing up doing, a, a 7 a.m. every day, showing up and we would swim for hours and then I would hang out at the pool all day. I love swim. I was I uh, loved to swim. I was, I was pretty good at it. I almost always won. Um, I'd win. I grew up in Seattle. I'd win all city meets. I have medals. I, I, I was pretty good at it. And I, and I tell you that not to, to boast, but to, to set up why I quit swimming. Um, I was fifth grade or so, and I was standing on the starting block about ready to do, uh, I think, probably a 50-meter fly or a freestyle, um, did fly as well, but but I'm about ready to go, and I'm standing there in the traditional swimming gear of a Speedo, which I can't think of a worse curse for a fifth-grade boy who... Uh, was fairly overweight. And I remember standing on this block as you're up elevated above the water and people are there and they're watching the pool. And I'm standing there. And I never really thought about what I look like at this point. um, or at least not consciously all the time. And the guy that was next to me that I was about to race is there's six swimmers that are set up. He looks over at me. He leans in and says, man, you are fat. As I stood on that block before the gun went off, I just felt so much embarrassment. I beat him, I won the race, and then I quit swimming. And then I quit sewing. Now, this illustration of, of why I quit breaks down, God never mocks us for how we look. One of the things I love to tell my kids, pulling from the beautiful verse, says you are fearfully and wonderfully made, is I love to look at them and say, you are custom made by God Almighty. But there is a reality that some of our actions, when they get exposed, some of the thoughts of our minds as they get seen, some of the things that we've done in our past, our present, and unfortunately our future, We don't really want to be seen by others, let alone Christ as he returns. What do we do with this? How do we have hope to stand before Jesus with confidence and not shame? To stand before the righteous one, as verse 29 references, knowing that we are not righteous. Well, the answer again is this, abide in him. Don't come with your performance. Don't come with your, your trophies. Don't come with your accolades. Don't come, don't, don't even come with your failures. Just come in Christ. Come clothed in Christ's righteousness. If you go back to 1 John 2, 1, it says, little children, I write these things so you may not sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We come wrapped in him. It's always Jesus all the time. We will stand before Christ. We could phrase it this way. We will stand before Christ in Christ. And that's the, the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus Christ did what we were supposed to do and failed, and then he went to the cross where he took the punishment we deserved. He was stripped naked that we might be clothed in him, in Christ alone. I love the way G.I. Packer says it in his book, Knowing God. I'm going to quote it a few different times today, but this is a great one. It says this. It says, there is no peace like the peace of those whose minds are possessed with full assurance that they have known God and God has known them and that this relationship guarantees God's favor to them in life, through death, and on forever. This text goes on. I mean, this is a a phenomenal text. In Christ alone, we have everything we need. And then the text goes on and it shows who we have. Verse 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God and so we are. Are. We're, going to spend, we're going to camp out here for a little bit. We're going to unpack a number of different things that, that, that we see in the love of the Father. First is this, this display of his love. The word see, this first word is like, behold, I want you to see this. John is excited. There is an enthusiasm to what he's writing. He's trying, to, he's trying to get this church, he's trying to get followers of Christ to wake up to who God is and the type of love that he provides. He's saying, I really want you to get this. It's so good. Don't miss it. Let me ask you something. When, when you think of God, what's the first thing you think? When you think of God, what's the loudest thing that comes to mind? I'm going say it like this. What's, when you talk to God, what's the most common title that you use? And maybe more simply, I could ask it this way. If you could pick just one word to describe what God is like, what word would you use? And, and there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. God reveals to Himself to us in many ways. We could say He is holy, which He is. We could say He is love, which He is. We could say He is all-powerful, which He is. We could say He is majestic, which He is. The Bible tells us the highest heavens cannot contain Him. How often do you use this word? Father. So what John is trying to alert our attention to, he's like, see what kind of love the Father has for us. G.I. Packer in Knowing God, he says it like this. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, It means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Father is the Christian name for God. Obviously, we have all sorts of names for God, but I I love that insight. John is like, I want you to see this. I want you to see this because like what Packer said, he's like, if this is not the thought that prompts, that we have God as Father, it prompts, it controls our worship, our prayers, our whole outlook on life. That's what John is trying to do for these, these Christians, and that's what God is trying to do through his word for us, that the thought that we have a Father, that it would change everything. We don't just have a father. We have a certain type of father. That's what this text says, see what kind, what kind of love. This is speaking to quality. It's the quality of his love. That word for kind is used um, just seven times in the New Testament. Every time it's used, it, it has this sort of like sense of like wonder or splendor or amazement. It literally means, the word literally means of what country? So it might be used like in a, a harbor port or something. Someone might use this word and say like, of what country are you from? What, what this is saying, is like, where does this type of love come from? To get a sense of what kind of love this is, it might be helpful to talk about the, give a little historical context on adoption at this time. When people were adopted and brought into a family, um, this is typically how it worked out. The, uh, you might have someone who is, who is wealthy who had property who had a lot of possessions but they had no heir they had no son to carry on the family name they had no no son to carry on the legacy for for this for this individual so what they would do is they would go out and they would try to find another son. So it wasn't, it wasn't often young. It was actually older. They would find someone that was already adult that, that, that needed to be brought in. They, they maybe were very gifted or smart or talented or whatever, but they, they lacked resources. And so what would happen is this person would basically go around and there'd be job interviews to see who's going to be a worthy son to now become, to be adopted and to become my son that I might have an heir. Then they would adopt him And they would be legally, fully, culturally, socially seen as a son. But notice something. The father already had a son. He didn't just have a son. He had the son. He had the son that never failed, that never blew it, that never got angry, that never disrespected, that never dishonored, that never talked back. And then, not just he did the negatives; he always did the right that he was supposed to do. He didn't just have a son; he had the son. He had the perfect son. And in light of all of that, God wanted you. So God adopted. You, if you are a follower of Christ, that's what God did is he brought you into his family and we go like, what kind of love is this? This is otherworldly kind of love. This isn't love that's contingent upon how we perform. This isn't love for those that are lovable. The, God actually set his affections and his love on those that didn't love him. The Bible declares that we were, we were enemies to God. We weren't just even neutral to God and God sent his son that we might be brought in. That is off the charts love. Like, I know Father, Father's Day can be such a great day and such a, a difficult day, depending on your background, depending on how you grew up, depending on the relationship you had with your dad, whether you had a wonderful one or maybe you didn't have one at all. Some had great dads, no dads, terrible dads, distracted dads, mixed bag dads. And one of the gifts that we're given in a text like this is, is this, this, this declaration of this otherworldly love. And I just say it simply this way. Wherever your dad was good, God is infinitely better. Wherever your dad was poor, God is absolutely, absolutely unlike your dad. He's utterly unlike him. And one of the things that I like to do is sometimes sit back and think about how the Father speaks over me. These are some of the words that that if your dad said them, your heavenly father means them more and perfectly. And if he didn't say them, these are the things that you were entitled to hear. Things like this, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. When I look at you, I know you are not a mistake. You don't have to get over your tears. In fact, I take all of your tears and I, I remember them. I actually keep them in bottles on a, on a shelf. When I think of you, I get so much joy from you that I, that I rejoice over you, that I actually delight over you with loud singing. This is what your heavenly father says. All I'm doing is taking Bible references, things like this, you can always come back to me. And when you do, no matter what condition you're in, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna wrap my arms around you. I'm gonna welcome you back. I'm gonna re you and celebrate you and throw a party that you're found. This is otherworldly Love. I love that we see the object of his love. If you look at this text, it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. That word given means to bestow, means to lavish, to give freely, to give permanently, to give perfectly. And he does it to us. Now, I know I've used this story time and time again in our church, and I'm going to use it again because it's the time, the first time that I remember the love of the Father becoming so tangibly real to me, it it, it was emotional and palpable. I was driving around with my... um, my, my first child, Emma, she was six months old or so and we're, we're driving down Cordata Parkway on the north side of Bellingham and I'm listening to songs about Jesus and we pull up to a stop sign as we pull up. I look in my rear view mirror and, and she was six months and so she had the kind of rear facing car seat and could just see the reflection of her and kind of the, 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 the mirrors that you put up so you can check on them and I just look in and I was so overwhelmed by this thought. I just love you. So much. You can't, <laughs> not, you can't do anything. It's not contributing a whole lot. I mean, just, just, and just being overwhelmed with this sense of love for my daughter, Emma. And I didn't hear God's voice, but boy, it was about as close as is hearing his voice audibly. I just felt like he was like, I love you infinitely more than that. Do you know this love? Do you see this kind of love? If you doubt it, what we could do is just talk about what God did to show his love, that God so loved the world that he gave his son. He gave his perfect son. It's a declaration of the lavish love. Look at the result of this love. We could do so many things that we could talk about in the result of this love. I'll just give you, I'll give you two things. We'll talk about the result of this love as a new identity and new ability. Um, It's a life-changing Identity. Let me read it again. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Packer, he makes the insight that Father is the Christian name for God. I love that. I love that. But do you know what God's name for you is? My child. God's name for you is son, God's name for you is daughter. This new identity is a really big deal. John Owen, he described adoption as the great and fountain privilege. For it flow, everything else. John Murray said of adoption is the apex of grace and privilege. G.I. Packer, in knowing God again, he says this, he says, to be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by the Father is a greater. Daryl Bach says it like this. He says, forgiveness is isn't an end in itself. The point of forgiveness is to remove the barrier that stands between us and God so that he can give us his spirit and bring us into his everlasting family. In Christ alone, we are given the deep love of the Father, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make this wretch his treasure. Let I me mean, try to personalize this a, a little bit for you about how big of a deal having a father is. My wife and I, we were in Ethiopia and we were adopting our youngest son, Judson. And we were there just a few days and it was a, a Christian orphanage and the person that ran it uh, uh, found out that I was a, a pastor. And so when we were at the the, the kind of final gathering at the uh, at the orphanage. He, uh, he asked me to, to preach. And so we're in this room and there's 60 or so um, kids that are waiting for forever homes gathered in this room. And I'm holding Judson, who's 10 months old, and I'm supposed to preach to this, this room. And so I just went to this text. I just went to 1 John And I don't know, I don't know what I said, but here's what I know. When I got to the idea that God is our father and that we get to be children of God and how whatever the the person that ran the orphanage is, he's translating, he probably said way better than me, but whatever truth about God being father, when it landed on a room of 60 orphans' hearts, boy, they jumped up and they danced and they shouted and they clapped and they cheered because they know what it's like to not have a father. Do you know how much having a father is worth who's always wise and always kind and always loving and always generous and always gracious and always there and never annoyed? See what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God life-changing identity. It's, it's, it's a never-changing identity. The word called, the, 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 um, the grammar behind it, it it's, it's in the sense, it's, it's like a once-and-for-all reality that once you're called this, it's always yours. You never have to be worried about being sent back. You never have to be worried about being uh, stepped over. You never have to be worried about being locked out, You're called. Today is... Um, my uh, youngest daughter's what's known as her gotcha day we adopted lily from from china um, and I, I get permission from my kids to share this. And, and gotcha days in our family are a big deal. This is the day, like, we got you. Like, we, 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 we traveled the world for you. We've been praying for you. We've been longing for you. We, we, we will do anything it takes to come get you. And I still remember the first day that I got to, to meet Lily and to, to hold Lily. And, and when she came into my arms and close to my heart, there's this feeling of, like, I will never let you go again. When you became a Christian, you weren't just forgiven. You were adopted into God's family forever. I've used this before, but if you're a follower of Christ, the day of your conversion was your gotcha day. God, God, God was like, I got you, and I will not let you go. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. I came across a summary of something that um, Charles Spurgeon, a uh, really well-known preacher from... 1800s, uh, he said he drew together two really beautiful aspects of salvation and, and kind of, the, or the results of salvation he, a new identity and, and a new um, ability. He says it like this this is a kind of a summary of something he said, but, but, but this he says adoption gives us the name of God's children, new birth gives us the nature of God's children. And that's actually what we see in the surrounding context. God is calling us as children, but it's not just that he, he adopted and brought us in. It's that we're actually reborn in some way. If we look at 1 John 3, 9, it says this. Um, it says, no one born of God. We go over to, to 1 John 5, one. it says everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And it's actually what we saw in verse 29, which we'll cover a bunch more next week. But in chapter 2, it says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. It means you have a new ability. You have a new life. Um, I used to have a car, a 1979 Volvo that was... Uh, affectionately called Colonel Mustard. It was mustard yellow. I love this car. Had an AM radio. That was it. Um, it was a four-cylinder car, uh, it, but didn't run very well. You go in to get gas or something like that, and you'd have to wait 20-30 minutes for it to actually start up again. It often wouldn't start in the rain, and uh, and out of these four cylinders, oftentimes it felt like only two of them were actually working out. I don't know if it was a spark plug. I don't know what it was, but I would drive around Bellingham, and it would constantly misfire. I would hit the gas as hard as I could and it'll go about seven miles an hour. And so if you, uh, I don't know, probably about, I, I got rid of that car maybe five years ago. So if it was prior to five years and you were in Bellingham and you were stuck behind a line of people going slowly, it was probably my fault. I'd never had so many people say things to me while I drove or to make gestures towards me as when I drove Colonel Mustard. I got a new car and it was great. Because it worked, when I hit the gas, it would actually go. It had new ability. (laughs) Next week, we're going to spend the whole sermon looking at how we grow. But for day, for today, texts like this they remind us that we can. They remind us that we can that we're adopted as sons and daughters, but we're also given new life right now in the Son. Let's look at verse two. I'll speed it up a little bit. Verse two. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. I'm going to read it one more time. I I don't know if I could think of a more encouraging verse than this. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. The idea of seeing Christ is what's known as the beatific vision, to to see Christ face to face. And and when we see him, we will be transformed to be like him. There's many ways we will not be like Christ, but we we will in very real ways reflect Jesus more adequately and accurately. Right now, we're justified in Christ alone, one day we will actually be just. Right now, we are adopted in Christ. One day we will actually be glorified. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, has this, it's a great, great essay. But in it, he, he makes this reference to like, um, he says the people that you, that you work with and you play with and, and you're married to and, 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 and you go bowling with and you, like the people that you're around, if you could see, who they're going to be in glory. When Christ comes back, if they're Christians, he says, if you could see how dazzling they'd be, you would be tempted to fall down on your feet and worship them. I've always loved that. Talk about encouragement. You look at a text like this. One day we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We will be so beautified. It is unreal. One day, dear Christian, In Christ alone, when he returns, you will have no more moral compromises, not one. You will have no more stray thoughts. You will have no more callous words. You'll have no ebbs and flows in the spirit of your affections for Christ. They will always be full. You will love deeply and consistently And perpetually, you won't. One of the great promises that we'll have when Christ returns is we won't just not sin, we won't even want to anymore. Imagine that. Imagine being set free from the temptations. Imagine that the battle is finally done. And it will just get better and better. You know, what if he went through life with this verse Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he comes back, we'll be like him. What if he went through life with that? I am the very best at terrible self-talk. I'm better than anyone else at tearing myself down. Um, And I have this horrific habit of uh, staring in the mirror. I'll go in the mirror in in our bathroom and I'll stare at myself just right in my eyes. And I'll just say, you stink. You are such a disappointment. You are a failure. And I'll go through all sorts of other things. And obviously, it's stuff that I have to work on. Um, It's stuff that if I overheard my kids saying it, it would break my heart. And I would do everything I could to to, to, to replace it with what is true and not with what is tearing down. Um, I was sharing this with Pete, a community life pastor, and he said, hey, Rob, let's do this. Why don't we do a little challenge for the next week? No negative self-talk. But the reality is I can't just take away something I do. I have to replace it with something else. And so I began to replace it for a week. And guess what? It was a much better week. How about you replace your self-talk, if it's negative, with this, I am a child of God? Just look yourself dead in the eye. I am a child of God. I am deeply loved by the Father. And I am destined to look like Jesus. He didn't do it in the second prayer. You are destined to look like Jesus. Just look in the mirror. All you're doing is declaring the truths of this text, which we have because we are in Christ alone. Let me give you one more verse as we wrap up. Verse three. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Uh, you got to know that I really debated the title of, of this sermon quite a bit, the, the Christian State Children but Not Childish. And the reason I debated it so much, I mean, I wrote and rewrote lots of options um, because I didn't want to be scolding. I don't want to end with like a weight of burden. Okay, so okay, now God's our father, but we better like, we, we better perform now. Um, I kept the original though, because I'm hoping that you hear the last part of it is liberating and inspiring and hope-producing, because it really is, in Christ, it really is. It's saying this, that if you are the fathers, sons, and daughters, you are destined to look like the son, and that future reality is coming true even now. You don't have to wait to look more like Jesus. I thought um, a lot about my kids as I walked through this, this sermon as a dad on Father's Day. Um, My oldest just graduated high school. Um, Owen, our second oldest. I was thinking about this because we're doing dedications today, family dedications. Owen was the first kid to get dedicated in our church. He was a year old. He's now 6'1". I have to have him sit down when I need to talk to him. Um, Lillian Judson are, are 13 and almost 13. They are growing and maturing, and it is so wonderful to see. But here's the deal. Their maturing hasn't changed anything about their place in our family or my heart. It hasn't changed anything. It not changed anything. They've always been my sons and daughters. I tell them, this, I love you, I adore you, you are my children, you will always be my children. And they're, I think they're cool, I think they're accomplished, I think they're kind, I think they're fun, but the reality is, who they are hasn't changed anything about how I love them. So like as we look at verse three, it's saying you are destined to be like Jesus and that work can start now, but here's the deal, the Father loves you regardless. It's true with the Father. You're his. That's what matters. And I, 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 in my notes, I said, you know, thanks be to God that we can grow up a bit and we're gonna do next week all on that, but thanks be to the Father that our growth never determines our place in his family. Let me string together the songs. How deep the Father's love how deep the Father loves us, to give Christ alone for us, so that Christ will be truly formed in us. Let's pray. Father, what a what a what a good text! Your word's always good. Your, your word is is always right and true and helpful. And this is one of those that just sings over us. Might we come to Christ alone. Might we know how deep your love is and might we know that we can become more like Jesus and one day we will be like him. And we thank you that it's all of grace. Working on us, working through us, working to us. We look forward to the day when Christ comes back and we're clothed in him so we don't have to shrink back in shame but we can stand before him. And as we look on him, and we will be changed to be like Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.